came here to defend my championship title. So I'm talking to everybody. I'm talking to anybody. She's got a number one contender, David. The first person that can come out to this ring will get themselves a shot at my title. She's putting on an open so challenge. So you think you got the guts? You come get some. You know, when we all have our 15 minutes of fame, and I'd like to take a couple of my 15 minutes to talk about the rights and the wrongs in the world of professional wrestling. And it is for the WWE Championship. This match is for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. Hello, hello again, ladies and gentlemen, and you are listening to the Rights and Wrongs of Pro Wrestling Podcast with your host, Mr. Green, and this is another review of the unaired Season of WOW, brought to you by, I guess, WOW (laughs) and the CW and Pluto TV. Because uh, I see some of you haven't found out where it is and don't, you know, haven't uh, gone over to watch it quite yet. But if you do and you are interested in finding these episodes that I am speaking of right now, the CW app is where that exists. And also Pluto TV, of course, the. Uh, it might be a little bit harder with Pluto. You have to go into the app itself. Uh, go, not the live TV portion at the top, but the, um, ah, crap, video on demand. And then kind of search for it through there. CW, I find, was a little bit easier. Because at least at this point, the WOW program is trending in their their own little app universe. So you can go down to that bar, scroll over to the right on the trending tag, and then you should be able to find it pretty easy. So that, that's, uh, that's one way to go about it. But anyway. We are a couple episodes in. I am up to episode 25. And in this review, we are going to do a triple threat. I went down the line and I've watched a couple of these in a row because I was like, you know what? Let me just uh, let me just check into this and see how this is going, where this is going. Are they going to follow up on some of this stuff? So my interest got a little peaked and I had some time on my hands. So I just went boom, boom, boom. All right. So... Let's see where this is. By the way, folks, thank you for taking time to listen to this program and uh, support this program. If you are one of the ones that are listening or wanting to support in some other form or fashion, you can uh, go to our website, WPN Wrestling. That is always a good choice. And there you will find the nexus for everything that we do. All the uh, social media sites and links are right there on the page. Because the 24-7 broadcast of the Women's Pro Wrestling Network matches that we produce, interviews that we produced, and of course the links for these podcasts. If you missed some, you kind of scroll through that. If you haven't liked 
the uh, podcast or follow the podcast or episodes just in general. You know, feel free to do that wherever you may find your greater podcast, including Spotify and iTunes. Uh, we are on both of those, and actually a couple of more sub stuff. I didn't even realize that the podcast was on until I started getting emails from them. So, uh, yeah. So that being the case, you know, if you are so kind, uh, please uh, share your your love and your support, and uh, give it a like, give it a follow, however you choose to uh, uh, endorse us, I guess. Might, is, is that the right word? Endorse us? I guess it's some, something along those lines. Anyhow, as I think of a better word for that, we'll just go off into the review. And it is going to start, as I said, with episode 25. Now, if you've listened to this for any length of time at this point, then you probably got the idea that there's a bit of a formula that WoW likes to use when it produces its shows. Comes on, does a recap, welcome to WoW, maybe a promo, off into the match. That seems to be the basic formula for what this is and how it works, and it didn't, uh, didn't change all that often, if ever. So, let's, let's, let's see what this is. We start off with the recap of the Psycho Sisters versus Siren and Holodead. And Mesmera, we're just, uh, ah, they need a, a team name or something. That's just, that's just inconvenient. But anyway, they talk about this being the most br- bizarre brawl in WoW history to set up for tag team matches on the show. And this recap has absolutely nothing to do with what they're talking about now. If there's anything that I found after I've watched a couple of these shows is that they do a really good job of doing the recaps and doing the video packages and things like that, but sometimes they just over-explain. I get the fact that you're trying to get all the information to the viewer that you can. Nothing wrong with that. But sometimes it just adds in things that just are not relevant to what it is that you're trying to set up. This was here to set up a tag team match Later in the show that the Psycho Sisters, Siren Holiday, and Mesmer had absolutely nothing to do with. Why were they brought up other than the fact that it was a tag team match? Yeah. And the most bizarre brawl in the wild history, I think that's a little bit of an overstatement. I mean, I, I didn't find it all that bizarre. It's, it's not bizarre in the world of wrestling. It's not even that bizarre in wild wrestling. It was just six women that were fighting on the floor and fought outside of the building. That's it. What's bizarre about that? It's not any more bizarre than if you go back to Wild Season 1 and you saw Selena Majors fighting Thug all through the crowd and up to the ramp and all that stuff. It's not any more bizarre than that. I don't even think it's any more bizarre than Cage Heat taking on Harley's Angels. Or for that matter, probably Cage Heat and the All-American Girls. I just... You know, perhaps it's just the verbiage because I'm sure they were just trying to pump up the the, uh, the validity of the match and the feud and all that stuff. But it's probably the verbiage, the most bizarre brawl. I, yeah, I shouldn't say match, brawl. 
the most bizarre brawl in wild history. Like they were using, I don't know, garden hoses and bear traps or something like that. I was like, there's really nothing bizarre about this. They didn't, they didn't use any steel chains or swords or guns or anything. They, they were just brawling out like every other wrestling show has a brawl. There's nothing bizarre about it. If you want to see a bizarre brawl, I mean, look at Game Changer Wrestling or, or, or ICW or Combat Zone. You know, they do bizarre stuff. Or backyard wrestling where they rake your back and then dump buckets of salt on top of it. That's bizarre. It's stupid, but it's also bizarre. Uh, this was none of that. So I, I don't know exactly what it was. That, that just kind of was weird and irked me a bit. Uh, the second segment showed Venomous is a vignette with her, and this was there to introduce who she is to the audience. Good job. For those who haven't seen her or know who she is, is Ruby Rays on the uh, independent circuit. So if you want to do your homework, you can go and you can look her up and uh, check out some of her matches. Um, but again, you can have your complaints about WoW, but one thing you cannot complain about is how good they do their video packages. It might be long sometimes, but they do them well. This case, it was neither. It wasn't long, you know, and it was done very well. So they, you know, they, it it served its purpose. They introduced this woman, and despite the fact that she has a very WoW esque name. With venomous because you know they, they love their cartoony names despite that she seems very grounded in the real world it's like they lit they gave you all the information about her without saying certain things directly like like i was on the streets and part of a gang you know they don't really say that but there are points where they kind of visually allude to it you know uh, and, and kind of hint around it it seems I'm from the you know the the underworld of of L.A. and she's riding around the lowrider and this that and other. So make of that what you will. But anyway, the the video was done good, and it led into the uh, next segment of the show, segment three, and it was Venomous taking on Callie Ray. I cannot remember who Callie Ray is uh, on uh, the the Indies. It'll, it'll come to me in a minute. Um, but this is her debut match. And this is one of the things that does get me about WoW, and I don't know why they do this. But they start having people have matches, and they'll just go right out there and lose. And that is exactly what happened. And there's nothing really to talk about as far as the match is concerned. This is the first time Calorie is, is on the show. She debuts for a while, and uh, I, I, I didn't know what I, what did I, I, I put in my notes, debut for Calorie, so either Callie has to lose debut, or Venomous has to be derailed. There's the only two options that you have here, because we just had, we just came out of this video segment setting up Venomous, she was victorious the previous week, and they kind of put her into a, a position where she is... You know, the badass here. And you can certainly see that she could be the one that will challenge for the championship down the line because she looks like she can challenge against the beast. She looks like she could put the beast in jeopardy. And they're giving her wins. 
You know, so that was my note there. I was like, there, there's only one or two options. Neither one is very good. You know, it doesn't seem like it would be a, a, a proper thing to do. But that's what you have. There's there's only we can either have this woman debut and she can lose in her first match, or we can derail this person that we put on here and we started making out as a monster. And which one happened? Callie lost her debut match. Why? Don't know. I don't know why this was uh, something that they had to do. I don't know why they chose to put Callie in this position. I'm sure they could have gotten some other. I've said it a couple of times now. Just, just get somebody that's not important to the show and stick them on there and let them take the loss. Ah, but there she is. She took her. She came in, took her first loss, and then the Ven- Venomous cuts a promo and basically calls out the beast. That's pretty much where that came to. So it goes back to what I was just saying. She has been set up, and it looks like she's being set up as a uh, opponent for the beast at somewhere, you know, at some point in time down the line. We can, we can, uh, we can only. Hope, I guess. Uh, Callie, was it Callie Young? I think that was her name. Callie, Callie Ray is who she is in WOW, but I believe Callie Young. Or, yeah, yeah. Okay, there we go. So you can look her up. Uh, if, if you're trying to find out who exactly it is I'm talking about. Some of you out there in OVW already know. All right, um, going into the next segment. Uh, uh, yeah, I forgot. I, I had a, a, a note here because of one of their edits in the show. It looks like they were, you know, they told the crowd to chant. Like it just, <laughs> for whatever reason, just came up to me like they look as about as unnatural as they could possibly be chanting right now. But anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. Uh, next segment, we got to recap Alana Star's history with some of the talent that have come through the company. Alana has always been kind of positioned as a manipulator. From the first time that she was in WoW years ago, it's been 20 years at this point, to present day. And they showed her like a little recap of all of that. Uh, in this particular instance, I think that they did the right thing in pulling out that information so that you can get a, a real idea of who Lana is. And... Uh, they talk about her history with with certain talents and the recreation that she has or had over Amber O'Neill, like reforging her in her image. Um, this was a fairly long recap, and it felt like a fairly long recap because this somehow. Despite the fact that it started with Lana Star, leaned over to the Dixie Darlings and set up for a match between grit, uh, Grits and Glam and the Dixie Darlings. Um, so when, when they start talking about Lana and what she's done, yeah, I, I was fine with that. But then it's like, again, you know, they, they take this derail and then they go off and talk about something else. And I'm not... And the editor in me wonders, is that really necessary? Are you reaching around the back of your head to scratch your elbow? It's a, it just seems like a long route to take to get to this point. 
And it's certainly not, you know, considering that these were shot and and they knew it wasn't ever going to make TV. It's like it certainly wasn't a case of, well, we got to do it to fill time. There's no TV time for them to fill. This is all on demand. There, there's no commercial spots to stick. But, you know, I guess they did what they had to do. So one of the things that I, I question here is the same thing I questioned about the Dixie Dollars from the moment I saw them steal the boots of Grits and Glam uh, what, a season ago? Are they supposed to be heels or are they baby faces? This has not come off like a baby face team. I don't understand. What I, why would I cheer for these two? So anyway, we go into the match. Grits and Glam had the Darlings beaten up uh, backstage earlier. Uh, a season ago, so I did. So the first thing I wrote is, "I what is this match for?" Because the video sets up like, well, they're out to get revenge for when they stole their boots. Well, they had already beaten them up. They already beaten them up a season ago. Where did, why? Why do they need to do this again? They've already gotten their revenge on on the Dixie Darlings. But here we are, and we got this match, and we stick the Darlings in there. Uh, the commentators tried to make. Grits and Glam full of excuses for losing. Despite the fact that they have openly acknowledged that the Dixie Darlings took their boots directly before they had a match with which inadvertently cost them the match. So I don't know which way that the commentators are supposed to be trying to go here. I mean much like the Darlings, are they are they supposed to be leaning towards babyface? Are they leaning towards heel? Are they unbiased? I don't know. It just seemed like a lot. Um, Jesse and Amber are not flashy when they're in the ring, but they're good. They know what they're doing. They're solid. And that comes from, you know, them working on the independence. I have absolutely no doubt about that. They, they have been doing this for a while, and they know how to get the job done. And they are probably every reason that this match looked as good as it did. Um, without going into commentary about it or a full recap, the, the Darlings have a very cold tag. It's like they just kind of walked over and, and, you know, it wasn't even on camera. That's what that's... They walked over and made the tag, but the, but the tag that they got wasn't even on camera. So, you know, I don't know what that was supposed to be, you know, because... They got in the heat on one of the darlings. <clears throat> she breaks free. Amber gets the tag. Jesse comes in. Then the other darlings just in the ring. So I, I don't know where that, that's supposed to be. Um, one of the things I know is that it's the small things that Jesse does that makes her so good. The stepping on the hair of her opponent while she makes the tag. Little things. Make sure you don't go anywhere. The little the little breakdowns of the arm, the little you know, the little twist here and there, the yanking of the fingers, the, the popping of the elbow. It's the little things that she does that makes her come off as good. And I appreciate her work. She's you know, she's again very solid, you know, very old school, not trying to be exceptionally flashy. She just does what she does. Um Amber O'Neill nails one of them with the uh, the X Factor, and 
The Twins pull a switcheroo. Amber O'Neill gets pinned again. At this point, Jesse Jones is telling her, you know, I don't think this is going to work. You know, we need to just break this thing off. And she leaves the team right there on the spot. That was just one loss too many. Because we had seen uh, Amber lose previously. She lost when they were, you know, in a match. uh, I forget it was last week at Exile. When they, um, uh, when she got distracted by Chrissy Vane and Lana Starr sitting out at ringside. So this is the second time that she's gotten into a tag match and caused the team to lose. And Jesse seemingly at the end of this has had enough. And she just on the microphone in front of the crowd told him that, this, you know, this is not working anymore. So, you know, we're going to be out now. So remember that. All right. So we got a, a vignette setting up the team, uh, Lana Starr's um, team of Linus and Chrissy Vane and them getting a title shot. You go to the next segment, we got Faith and uh, Chrissy Vane with Lana Starr going out to ringside against firing and drilling. The commentators address how Lana got the tag, team, the tag team title shot, and I wrote, thank goodness, because how did this team that had never been together just randomly pop up you know, as the number one contenders? But they did acknowledge that. They acknowledged it on camera. I was glad that they acknowledged it on camera because it didn't make any sense otherwise. And they put it off on Lana having pull with some of the people backstage. She used, you know, some of her influence, and she got this championship match for her two protégés. Well, I guess protégé and friend now, because I don't, I don't think they portray Chrissy Vane as the protégé necessarily. Um, so we have this, and through the beginning portions of the match, Chrissy Vane doesn't want to tag in. She's just kind of sticking on the outside. So we know where the heels are in this match. And we've already had uh, previous uh, matches where the Lioness did not want to fall into the category of what Lana Star was asking her to do, like, you know, cheating and rake the eyes, hit her with this, you know, those type of things. She had been, by and large, wanting to wrestle a competitive match. And that's what she has done. Um, Lana does the, you know, old manager distraction once Chrissy Bang was kind of forced into tagging, but she but she tagged in because, you know, the line just made her do it. And Lana does the manager distraction, which again, good thing because if you had gone back a couple of seasons ago, the the managers on the outside did little to nothing. And so it seems like somebody heard the pleas and decided, hey, y'all need to start getting involved and they have. And that's that's great. Why have managers if they aren't going to be out there doing manager stuff? Uh, so, <clears throat> Lana does the manager distraction so Vane can take over. Star and Vane tell the Linus to use the mirror, despite the fact that the ref is looking directly at him. Now, that part was stupid. I don't know what this was about. They get to this point where, like, you know, I'm going to go outside, get this mirror, and they're like, all right, hit her in the head. Now, the ref is looking directly at them. Like, you're in a championship match. Why would you do this? I understand, you know, the cat the, the, that Chrissy Vane and Lana Starr would want her to fall in line of their of their way, but 
what would have happened if they if she did take it? I was like, you know, they, they certainly weren't going to win anything. I thought that winning the championships would be the most important thing here, but clearly it was not. It's like that part feels a little contradictory. What would Lana Stark go through the time, effort, and trouble of pulling strings, which the commentators acknowledge, and using her influence to get this championship match for two people who clearly don't deserve it and never been a team before, only to throw it away within minutes of being in the match by cheating blatantly in front of the referee. But the Lioness doesn't do it. She refuses to do it. And she's pinned for it. So now the champions have successfully defended their championship. And that gets Star mad at the Lioness, at Faith the Lioness, who we now know as Nikita Lions on WWE television or NXT 2.0. As she, as Lana Star is arguing with her, Vane comes up and snatches the mirror out of Lana Star's hand and nails the Lioness with the mirror. Knocks her out cold. I wish Lana Star had a different gimmick. The mirror can hurt. The mirror can cut. The mirror dude can do all those things, but this tiny mirror just knocked this woman out. Now, again, it's glass. You know, if, if we're looking at it in real-world environment, it's glass. And if glass is going across your head, then it should cut her up at the very least. I mean, I can understand if there's a pain and she's bleeding on the ground, but we know they're, not, they're never going to show blood, not on purpose at least. That's not going to happen on this show. They're not going to have anybody blade just so they can, you know, work for an angle. So, why have it? She needs to, you know, with at least uh, Lopez, she has a briefcase. Something's hard and blunt that they can claim would knock somebody out. I mean, and, and it's supposed to be like big Halliburton briefcase. Uh, the disciplinarian's gimmick isn't really all that much better either. She's got the yardstick. I mean, that, <laughs> that's certainly not going to do any, any damage to anybody. I mean, it'll hurt again, but I doubt that it'll knock them out. So that happened. I didn't find any problems with it, but I really wish Lana Star had a different uh, item to carry around for her manager heel shtick. Uh, we get a recap of the previous tag team match in the next segment. Then we go off into uh, segment nine with the Temptress and Dagger talking about getting a title match. Now, remember, if you looked at uh, while the previous week, the Beast had been had given a uh, open challenge to the locker room. Anybody that wants a title shot against her, all you got to do is come out here and get it. So, assumably, this is still in effect. Uh, one thing I have to put off, you know, I have to bring up because it's been a while since Dagger had been on the screen is they, they always imply, they never say, but they always imply that Dagger had something to do with her abuser being gone. Like she might've killed him. Now my, my notes put down, you know, I, I wrote here is Dagger supposed to be sympathetic. As if she was abused, yeah, you could, you know, you could certainly understand her, uh, you know, her plight and you can sympathize with that because nobody needs to be abused. But then they also put, you know, it's like they're trying to justify, in theory, 
a murder without saying that she murdered him or her for that. I don't know. You know, we don't know. We never, that's never talked about. And we don't know what it is that she's done or what, what happened beyond that. It's just brought up here and then they kind of hint at it. It just seems weird. Wow has a lot of people that just walk a, a fine line of gray. And every once, I don't mind that in a, lot, in a lot of cases, but every once in a while, you would think that, hey, just just tell me who's the good guy and who's the bad guy here. We don't need everybody to be in this gray area where they can rustle the baby face one week, heal the next, and you just have to kind of go with the flow or be water and and kind of bend to the whims of the show. But in any case, they have a uh, uh, another video recap of the Beast Rising to be the champion and prepping for the main event. Of course, they drop in a little ad for their website, and then it is the main event. It's Temptress with Dagger versus the Beast. This is a glorified squash match. It's everything it needed to be. Like, I have very little to say about this match. I mean, because it's, it's about as right as you could be. The, the Beast is not a fully polished wrestler yet. Um, and it's going to take her being in the ring with people like the Disciplinary and people like Temptress who have already done this for a while against multiple people on multiple platforms, and they can get her through the match. And I would imagine that this is, well, I said it before, this is everything that the Beast needs. She needs that. She needs to be in the ring with people that are just out and out better than her, that they can walk her through this and make her look good at the same time. And that's everything this was. Beast didn't sell a lot. She didn't do much of anything other than a couple of power moves. Beat her flat. Temperatures went down one, two, three. Now, the interesting part here is that after that happened, then here comes Dagger. Dagger starts attacking the Beast. Beast is also no selling this. And as this is happening, I'm thinking to myself, well, what is Dagger trying to do? Because as this is going on, she's like she's trying to do wrestling moves on her. She's trying to, you know, toss her to the rope, stuff like that, stuff you would do in the course of a match, not when you attack somebody. And I'm thinking, are they giving another match right behind this? And as I say that, then the commentators ask basically the same thing. It's like, is this another match? And Beast is doing... She's still in beast mode. She's slamming around, not selling anything, taking her apart. And remember, these these are two different matches, but these are two different matches that are pretty short. And basically a squash behind a squash because she did beat Dagger, even though it was an unofficial match. They kind of treated it like a match because she put her down with a beast bomb, one, two, three, and that's it. So you got what was the essentially a bonus match. I enjoyed that. Um, again, it is everything that the Beast needs to be doing. If she's going to be this big ass kicker on the show, if she's going to be the one that you know everybody has a hard time with and she's somewhat invulnerable, then you know continue to treat her that way. And that's what they did. They continued to treat her that way. 
That was the entire show. It is an easy hour of programming to watch and to uh, absorb. I can't say all that much against WoW in terms of that. The, the length is, you know, especially these days. When you're dealing with rusted programs that are three hours long on a weekly basis and and really difficult to get through, WoW is very easy regardless of, you know, when they do things that don't quite jive with me, it is very easy to absorb. Episode 26, we start off same way. It's a show recap of Lana Starr, Chrissy Vane, and the Lioness. And then a recap of the Beast versus Temptress with Dagger. And this sets up for Jungle Girl and the Beast in the main event. Now, I don't know how we got to that, but it did. Second segment, Tessa Blanchard fires Sophia Lopez, who has, you know, no real concern over being fired. She's like, oh, I can't believe I'm, you know, very sarcastic. Like, I can't believe I'm fired by Tessa Blanchard. As of course, you know, if you go back into some of the early episodes this season, Lopez didn't necessarily set her up, but she kind of sold her out in favor of Serpentine. Um, we go to the show open. And then segment four is the Psycho Sisters. Well, at least one member of the Psycho Sisters. Fury, who some of you may know as Harlow O'Hara on the independent circuit, taking on Sassy Massey, who is Alicia Edwards on uh, the, the Impact Wrestling. Uh, oh, yeah, and uh, both come out with their their seconds. So Fury is out there with the remaining two Psycho Sisters, that being uh, Razor and Mesmera, and, and uh, Massey's out there with her friend and Tilly Chella. Which I still, I, I I I don't get that character. I was like, "What you named this person after a, a music festival?" I I nah. yeah. Anyhow, it's a decent match. I mean, I I don't really expect anything less. Fury and uh, Sassy Massey, both of them have experience outside of the WoW. It's a common theme when you're listening to me talk about this. The the girls that have had some work. Beyond the wild ring are the best talents that they have. Period. There's there's really no way around that. The wild might wild management might feel differently, but these are the best talents that they have. The ones that they hired that can hit the ground running. So in any case, this is going on up until Mesmer hooks Sassy Massey's leg to stop her momentum. One of the things I wrote down here is, is David McClain a heel announcer? Because anytime something like this happens, all of a sudden it's like, oh, what? I didn't see that. What happened? You know, despite the fact that during the course of it, he's largely for the baby faces and he largely agrees with his broadcast partner, Stephen Dickey. But when things like that happen, like the, the switch of the, uh, the Dixie Darlings or Mesmer tripping the leg. All of a sudden, he never sees it until it's too late. Like, oh, well, I didn't see that the first time, but now I can see on the replay that they did this and that. Uh, I, I don't know where, where he's supposed to be here. I mean, we, they, he's openly acknowledged as the matchmaker, but 
he he every once in a while displays like this little heel tendency. I don't know. But uh, yeah, he never seems to see the heels cheap. Um, just to get through this, Fury hits a flight of Fury and pins Sassy Massey. One, two, three. This, this was just a Fury showcase, basically. I mean, it, it was a match. I'm, I'm not going to say that Sassy Massey got squashed, but we have this match essentially to forward the idea that the Psycho Sisters are still a force. Reyes gets on the microphone. She cuts a promo that, you know, that this, the Psycho Sisters are still in town and they're going out the tag team titles, which I'm not sure if they would deserve the tag team title shot because they, they didn't actually win against Holiday and Siren and Princess Ozzy. I mean, they can announce that they won a title match, but I, I don't know why they would get it. Time will tell. I'm you know, still going through the episodes, so we will see. Segment five, we have Callie Raid, who we talked about the previous episode on episode 25. So here now we have a Callie Ray vignette. She talks about, you know, how good she is and who trained her. And this is essentially a setup for Callie Ray versus the disciplinarian. So this should have been on the last episode. Why are they doing a vignette after she lost and talking about, you know, well, I was trained by you know, Rip Rogers and now Snow and and uh, I can't remember the dude from Tough. He just he just passed not all that long ago from a, a brain tumor. I could, uh, if you are in the OVW, you'll know what I'm talking about. It, it just it, I just lost it. I just lost who he was, but I'm. That he he was one of the guys that hung around there for a while, you know, before he had gotten sick. But anyway, they basically gave you the information that she's an OVW trainee without saying she came from OVW, Ohio Valley Wrestling. For those who don't know what it is, uh, this felt backwards to me. This felt backwards to have this vignette appear on a program when she's already debuted on the program a week ago to a stunning loss. And now we're supposed to turn around and see her as some sort of star. And then who they put in the ring with, they put in the ring with the disciplinarian, which we know this was not going to do anything but have the disciplinary lose. The second I saw that, that was her opponent. I was like, okay, I know what's happening here. But we had to wait to get to that, so we go to segment six. Gris and Glamour backstage, and we got another vignette. Amber O'Neill is, well, let, let's go to the beginning of the vignette where Jesse Jones is asking Amber O'Neill in their locker room, hey, what's wrong? Now, here's where I had the problem. My first thought was, why are they in the same locker room together? Didn't they, didn't they split? I just saw them. I just saw Jesse Jones last episode get on a microphone in front of an audience Looking at Amber O'Neill and tell her this tag team thing isn't working. We need to split, you know, basically good luck. That isn't verbatim, but she broke up. So now I'm going into this next episode. We're in episode 26, and they're in the locker room like nothing happened. And 
Amber O'Neill is admitting to Jesse because she asked her what's wrong about her issues with Chrissy Vane. The team breaks up again. I have a question mark there. Because Jesse Jones essentially does the same thing that she did in the ring a week ago. Now she's backstage saying, hey, you know what? I, I just think that it's time for us to split. No, you know, this, this isn't working out. And Amber was like, you know what? I agree with you. No hard feelings. We need to. So the split is amicable here. But why did they have her do it in the ring last week? If this was going to take place, if they were going to shoot an episode that, well, shoot a backstage segment that was going to do it for them anyway. Or for that matter, why didn't they, if they didn't want it to air, why didn't they just cut that part out before they uploaded it? Uh, it's, it this, this, these two segments back to back, the Callie Ray segment and the Grits and Glam segment, absolutely made me feel like this was done backwards. This is just a backwards thing to do. This, this match with Callie Ray and the disciplinary should have happened last week. And this segment should have took place after the match last week or something. Either do it in the ring and be done with it there or do it backstage and cut out the end of the match last week. One or the other, but they didn't need both. So anyway... Uh, the lioness comes to talk to Amber O'Neill as Jesse leaves the locker room. She heads out and like, okay. Lioness goes in and then we cut. Then they take a look at each other and you know we go off to the next thing. Segment seven: The Disciplinarian with Samantha Smart versus Callie Ray. I wrote down here. I'm going out on the limb to say Callie Ray wins. And yep. The disciplinary beats up Kylie Ray most of this match, much like the rest of her matches. The disciplinary hits a cutter and still can't win. A missed time move from Samantha Smart, which basically Samantha's getting standing on the outside waiting for the disciplinarian to, to whip Kylie Ray into the ropes. It's reversed. Disciplinary goes to the ropes. She gets hit in the back with the yardstick, which distracts her just enough for Callie to hit a wheelbarrow stunner, boom, one, two, three, and she wins. Although Callie is attacked immediately after this by the disciplinarian. Uh, for fun, I went to look up just how many times the disciplinarian has actually won a match in, in a while because it feels like to me that she just keeps losing. It's like she just keeps losing over and over and over and over again. And I know they don't have house shows and a bunch of matches and stuff like that, but you know, in the context of having 13 episodes here and 13 episodes there or whatever the case may be, I just I had to see. I had to find out how often is this happening to her. So I look it up. And I have the results here. I'd like to go over it before I get back to the the uh, review, a regularly scheduled program. In the disciplinarian's first match, she lost to Fire, Kiara Hogan. 
She won over Chantilla Chelly. Chella. She lost to Steffi Slays. And then she got her win back from Steffi Slays a little bit later on. Then she lost to Sassy Massey. Then she entered into a tag team with Abilene Maverick, and they lost to Chantilla Shelley and Sassy Massey. They also lost to the Bully Busters. Disciplinary also lost to Raina Reyes. The Disciplinary also lost to Jolene Dixie, and she also lost to the Beast. And we can now add to that list Callie Ray. That is, what, 10 losses in a row for the disciplinarian. She just cannot buy a win. Can't win at all. Can't beat a rug. I don't know what what is going on here with her. They don't have anybody else in this roster that they can stick in and take these losses. Whatever it is that they have with Samantha Smart, she is – devalued as a manager because she has not helped do anything. Like, I, why would you believe that this woman is smart at all? She hadn't come up with any sort of plan to, to fix this. I mean, basic coaches would have been like, you need to start winning. Where, where's, where's that confrontation? Where's that vignette? <sighs> so anyway, yeah, it, it's a little bit difficult. And, and that's another thing. It seems like the WoW has this uh, their own universe logic. Like, well, when we introduce somebody, they can't win. So let's beat them first and then we'll let them win. <laughs> as weird as that sounds, I mean, that seems to be the way that they have gone. I, and I don't, it's, it's, it's odd. They make a lot of sense. But that's what they do. I mean, maybe once or twice in a season. I don't. I don't know. I'm not saying everybody that walks out there has to win. I mean, it would. It would probably be nice in setting them up for future matches, but just as a given that you walk out into a, a ring into a match and then you lose, just seems like it's a, a little weird to me. Uh, segment eight. Jesse Jones comes back to the locker room to see the Linus. Asking Amber O'Neill to be her tag team partner, or at least that is what Amber told her when the Linus leaves. She's like, oh, all right, well, just think about it. Jesse asked her, what is that about? She's like, oh, well, you know, she wants me to be her partner. That's a common denominator. And uh, Jesse said, well, that, that's a big word to be describing Lionel Stars. You know, something along those lines. Uh, we go to a vignette of Serpentine, Serpentine and Sophia Lopez walking in backstage talking in Spanish to each other essentially saying maybe one day Tessa will learn uh, this goes to a recap of Jungle Girl's road to facing the beast again for the wild championship so they have set in motion that Jungle Girl has reclaimed her spot as being the number one contender and that she is going to be the one that's going to challenge for the belt right there tonight and we are prepared for that up until the man, I mean, the, not the managers, but the announcers start talking about a change in the main event all of a sudden. As the next match is starting, Serpentine with Sofia Lopez versus Chantilla Chella. And as they're coming out there, you know, the announcers are saying, well, Jungle Girl's not even here, so we can't have the main event. 
Uh, and they are suggesting within that that Sofia Lopez may have had something to do with it. So they are preparing to have an alternate main event in its place. And we'll, you know, they'll announce that at the end of the match. Uh, Serpentine and, and Chella it was a back and forth match. Uh, good. Serpentine wins with a corkscrew driver. Not really much more to it than that. What is, uh, what does have something more to it, I should say, is when this match is done and they go over Serpentine winning, there's a voiceover that Dave is like, okay, let's go to this video package that you put together real quick to, you know, talk about the next match. That was ridiculous. At what point in time did Stephen Dickey had the time to run off into the back during this match that he was calling, cut together, find the footage, cut together, do a voiceover, and, and upload this thing. Well, I shouldn't say upload, render, because it's part of the same program. And render this out to where they can use it on the on air. I mean, because technically, I mean, we all know this is past tense, but, you know, when we put the, the suspension of disbelief in there, this is supposed to be an ongoing program that in their universe is taking place real time. So when on earth would he have had the time to do any of this? I mean, they literally just went from end of the match to, okay, show us that video package that you just did. And he says this. It's like, show the video package that you just had time to do. Uh, That was absurd. It was absurd. I mean, it, it... this is one of those cases you can't do both, man. You you can either be cinematic or you can be realistic. You can't do both. And they needed to make a choice there. They chose to go cinema. If they were trying to be realistic, they should have just said, okay, well, you know, I'm going to run off and go get, you know, during the commercial break, stay tuned, fans, I'll come up with a match or, you know, something. But nope. They just had a match already prepared and ready to go with the video package talking about that match that they just came up with two seconds ago. So after the wild ad, because they have to stick that in there, we find out that the new main event is going to be Tessa Blanchard versus Rana Reyes. Now, despite the fact how we got here, this the note that I have here, this is going to be a great match. Reyes is fantastic. Giselle Shaw is fantastic. And I have little doubt that if they do her right, she should be a champion inside of uh, Impact Wrestling in no time. She is amazing. Uh, and she looks looks great with what she does, how she does it, and so athletic. Um, during the course of this match, I mean, she's, she's doing a lot of springboard moves. She, at one point, does a sky, prister, sky twister press, say that fast, to the outside on Tessa Blanchard. And, and that looked good because, you know, whatever I can say about Tessa Blanchard, because, you know, I still have my doubts about how, you know, uh, 
nice or you know, a person that she may happen to be. But uh, in the ring, we cannot fault her. In the ring, we cannot say that she's bad. She is, you know, good at what she does, bell to bell. And so when she got put out to the outside, she didn't just stand around waiting for Reyes to get to the top rope. At least, you know, it, it wasn't blatantly obvious. She, of course, she was doing it, but she went to the outside. She bang, banged herself off of the railing, staggered back to the ring, and then looked like she just did not know where she was, like she was trying to get it together. And by the time she did that, there's Reyes coming off the top rope with the sky, sky twister press. Damn, that's hard to say. So... You know, it, that was a lot more smoother than what we got in the uh, six-woman tag. Everybody just kind of gathered around on the outside so Princess Oz could jump off and make them look stupid. Uh, but that was not the uh, the end of it. We had a couple of more big moves. Uh, Blanchard tried to, to uh, shoot. Reyes off into the ropes, and here's another one that it, she made it look natural. There's reversal by, well, I should say Reyes tried. Blanchard reverses it, shoots her into the ropes. Reyes jumps onto the ropes, catching herself, and jumps back off immediately into a springboard cutter. Another great spot. She puts uh, Blanchard up on, and I'm not, I'm skipping stuff, so just, you know, bear with me here. She puts Blanchard up on the top rope and does a uh, Spanish fly from the top rope to the mat. I mean, that Reyes is, is something. This this was next to a star making performance. Uh, even though she hit the Span the Spanish fly from the top, Blanchard still kicks out. And at the end of the day, Tessa managed after a series of reversals to get the Diamond DDT her pin, you know, her finish in for the win. If there's any match that I'm going to suggest that you watch on WoW, and it's not often that I suggest, oh, go watch watch a WoW match. Nothing against them, but I don't, I don't suggest it to you very often. But this one, I would say, go out your way and watch this. It is episode 27, and it is the main event. And it's good. It's good if you're a fan of women's wrestling, even if you're not, really. Because I think Reyes... Or Shaw, if you're going to see her in uh, Impact Wrestling at this point. Giselle Shaw. God damn, I hope I'm saying it right. But anyway, uh, she's worth going out your way to see. Excellent match. And she she is excellent. And I absolutely hope that she does some of this stuff. She saves it for the pay-per-view. I I don't want to see her doing it every match. But... uh, to see her on Impact Wrestling doing some of this stuff is, is something I'm very much looking forward to. Um, I, I, I really can't wait. And in fact, I think there's a couple of matches with her available right now. I watched one with her and uh, Lady Frost. I was about to say Ice Cold. See, I'm still in the wild mode. But Lady Frost. Um, and I don't think that she broke out all of the big stuff. But knowing that she's capable of doing it is going to be something. Uh, this is a side note since I brought a wild for a second. I mean, not wild, Impact Wrestling for a second. What is your take on the digital media championship? My first instincts about the digital media championship is that it is primarily an intergender title with a different name. I think the title is there as a means of compensation 
for some of the ladies that's on that roster who wanted what Tessa Blanchard had. I should be able to wrestle for the world's heavyweight title too. Or why can I have a match with the men or stuff like that? I'm not a big fan of intergender wrestling. Man. I, I'll be honest. I can I watch it and I can watch it every once in a while, especially if there's some sort of point behind it. But just to have a championship that is intergender for the sake of being intergender, I, I, I don't get that beyond the fact that they just, well, I'm not going to say the fact because I don't know that. So let me retract this and say it again or try it again. I think they only had that championship for no other reason other than they wanted to, to appease some people in the locker room, probably some of the women who felt like they wanted to be what Tessa Blanchard was. Let me let me wrestle against the guys. Let me wrestle in there. And, yeah, there's probably a couple of them that can pull it off, Matt Cardona being one of them, even though physically speaking it looks ridiculous on the screen. This dude's like twice the size of any of them. But he has to go around and, and make it look competitive. And one thing that he has done in this is that he's made himself such a heel through the Internet and just doing things to annoy people that it – comes off as believable but it but you know that that aside I, I, I don't know if that digital media championship is ever going to mean anything outside of when Cardona has it because that there's I doubt that very many of the top tier main event guys are ever going to go after it I don't think it's a title that they find valuable or worth it, or worth putting a name attached to. If anything, they'll probably have that belt for another year or two, or may, you know, maybe five, and then it might go the way of the the uh, global North American TV Legends Championship that they had. So I don't know. Just just a a, a quick runoff there, but. I am interested to know whatever your opinions may happen to be about the digital media championship. So we're here, the third rung of this ladder, episode 27. And in the first segment, we got a recap of Tessa Blanchard losing to the Beast. Uh, Much like a lot of the recaps, it's pretty full pretty robust but it gets to the point eventually the second segment Sofia Lopez goes to Tessa's locker room to present her contract of her last opponent under their arrangement so this is a a case of Tessa Blanchard having to fulfill her contract with Sofia Lopez before she could just completely walk away and they don't announce who this person is it's just a case okay you want me to wrestle her and Lopez is like, yep, and I want you to have, you know, have fun. Yeah. So we know that it's, in theory, supposed to be somebody that's tough, but they haven't unveiled who this person is or even come close to it. We go to the next segment, which is a video package on fire and drilling and exile hurting the champions and hurting Keita Rush. And this is supposed to set up for a match with Fire versus one of the members of Exile. Now, you have to remember, even though Malaya Osaka has been positioned 
as the manager of Exile, Exile more or less operates under a Freebird rule because we've already seen the team kind of mix and match. Exodus and Genesis, yes, they were the introduction to what Exile is and was or was and is. But the next time we saw them in a team is Malay Hosaka in Genesis. And Exodus was on the outside. So it just, I think, is important to kind of get that across, that this three-person team is actually a team. And maybe she's a wrestler manager, but she still is a wrestler. So we have this match. We got Malay Hosaka versus Fire. Malay Hosaka versus Kira Hogan. A match that we could have very easily have seen on the independent circuit probably 50 times by now. Adrenaline comes out to ringside with her on uh, crutches, with her being fire. And I put bad idea. Why would you come out to ringside on crutches when Maleo Saka's on the other side with both members of Exile with her? Uh, the match starts off with fire jumps because, you know, this is, this is a revenge match. They're going after Exile for jumping them at the beginning. Uh, well, I shouldn't say at the beginning, but at the end of the last season. And they really have been, haven't been all that noticeable since then. The champions, I mean. Fire starts to the outside to be beaten up by Exile. But what do you know, that bad idea that I said wasn't a bad idea after all. Adrenaline faked being on crutch or a fake being needing the crutches. So she gets into the ring while the referee's trying to get some order to exile while his back is turned. She nails Malay Hosaka with the crutch. Hosaka goes down, fire comes her up, fire wins. This was short, but it was good. It made sense. And adrenaline's on the outside showing people that, yeah, my knee's okay. <laughs> so they got one over on the bag. They, they, uh, it was the, the old taste of the old medicine thing. So, And this works. This is good. This is the baby faces not instigating the cheating, but now that it's been presented to them, they are, you know, they're returning it in kind. If you want to play like that, we'll play too. It works for me. Uh, the next segment. It's a recap of Tessa firing Lopez. Now, this is, I want to say, this is an ongoing theme, and it's, it's going to thread itself throughout the show. It's just another reminder that Lopez has a secret opponent for Tessa Blanchard. And then we go into the next thing. We got the Dixie Darlings coming into the locker room of Adrenaline and Fire. Now, we're going to assume that Adrenaline and Fire just finished the match. I mean, they don't look sweaty or nothing. And they're in the locker room talking, and the belts are on their bags, right? So here come the Dixie Darlings. They walk in like, hey, guys, what are you doing? You know, just like, hey, let's, can we get a picture together and this, that, and that. Now, one of them, I can't tell which one's which, grabs both of them like in this side bear hug. Remember, Kara Hogan and Diamante are both short. <laughs> I can't put that any other way. They're both kind of short. So the Dixie Darlings stand over them, almost tower over them. And one of them, we'll just say Jolene, comes up and gets, you know, grabs them both by, like by the shoulders and the head and neck and pulls them like real close. Not in a bad way. It's almost like a side headlock to the both of them and a very 
chummy way, like, oh, guys, you know, like almost like I love you guys, something like that. But while she's doing that, she's turning their bodies away from what her sister's doing. So if Jolene is doing the hugging and Jolene goes over there, she grabs the belts, puts them behind her back and kind of walks, you know, backs herself out to where they can't be seen. And then the other one's like, oh, well, uh, what did you say? $5 for a picture? I go get my five bucks. You know, something like that. Something silly. And uh, they have stolen the belts. Now, neither Drillin nor Fire notice this before they leave. Because they go off like, I don't, I can't tell which one's with, but that's definitely Jolene. And, and you know, the other one said, no, that's Jolene. Um. Uh, there, there's a small nitpick here that you can see the boom mic in the mirror, but you know, I that's that's not it. That that's just a production nitpick, and I understand. Hey, look, even the biggest productions sometimes have their errors, they have their flaws, but that is why, as a production, we don't shoot in front of mirrors and windows all the time because it will show the reflection of it. And I can almost guarantee that whoever edited this episode together saw it. Knew it was there, but really couldn't do anything about it because there's nothing, you know, that I don't have any way to recut it or cut around it. At least that's what I would assume. Uh, this segment took me right back to what I had been saying about the Dixie Dollars from the beginning of the Dixie Dollars. What is up with this team? Are they heels or are they baby faces? Because I'm sure that the announcers are going to try to portray this as some sort of prank. Like they did the last time, but they, their pranks, up to this point. Well, they well I was gonna say they haven't been harmful, but they have been harmful. They took the the shoes from Amber O'Neill and Grits and Glam, uh, Amber O'Neill and Jesse Jones, so they lost. They did a switch through and blatantly cheated to get the win over the disciplinarian. Now they're doing this. Stealing the tag team championships, the, the title belts. What babyface would be doing these things? This is a heel team. This is what I've said. These are heels. They may not be acknowledged as heels on their television show yet, but they might as well because I, I can't see how on earth this would be considered a, a good-humored prank. And they didn't follow up on it. I'll just go ahead and say it now. There was no follow-up to this. They just took the belts and then we moved on. So the question here again, what is up with this team? Is this heel or babyface? What's going on? I guess we'll find out maybe episode 28, I hope. We go to segment seven. is Jesse Jones versus another debuting WoW superhero, Casey Dakota. So you know what this means if you've been paying attention throughout the course of this podcast. The crowd is chanting USA to the two of them in the ring. I don't know why. You got somebody from Kentucky and the other one from Wyoming. What is this USA chant about? It's not like one of them is from Tehran, Iran, or Australia, or England, or Japan, or China. And both of these people are from the United States. What? Are they chanting USA for? Uh, Casey has a good showcase here. Starts off good. 
but is eventually taken over by Jesse. Jesse Jones is a very methodical wrestler. It shows here, and if you're trying to sell her on being this uh, great mechanic wrestler, this is probably the match that would have done it. She has always targeted and worked on the arms until she could apply her finish, the armbar. Jesse taps her out. Despite the showcase that Casey Dakota has, Jesse taps her out with the armbar. That is her, her finish. So we got a case of another wild superhero that debuted that lost on their first match. And if it's anything like this last one, I'm expecting them to produce some vignette for her to next episode, which is absurd. But that's what they seem to like to do. Let's let you go out there and lose, and then we'll start with getting you off to some wins. Anyway, uh, Jesse gets on the microphone and points out to the crowd that she hasn't been pinned or tapped out since she was in WoW. And she is, you know, on a mission to make wrestling great again. You know, again, that's an outdated reference at this point. But what, what, what are we going to do? This is old footage. And, you know, that she's placing herself back into the hunt of a singles wrestler. So we can only assume that she would like to have a championship match against the Beast also. Because who, you know, who's going who's gonna to be the one that's going to take that undefeated streak away from Jesse Jones now that it's been acknowledged she hasn't lost. She hasn't been beaten. She hasn't tapped out. She hasn't been pinned. So somebody should be able to get something off of that. I mean, and if it has to be somebody, might as well be the beast, right? Put that undefeated streak up against the championship. But again, we'll find out. Next segment is the recap of Princess Ozzy, Holiday, and Siren. We'll call them the darkness because in one of the video recaps, that's what Holiday said. It's like, you can't beat the darkness, so we'll just go with that. Uh, this recap talks about how uh, uh, Holiday and Siren abducted Ozzy and converted her to what they wanted. I still don't even know the reason why they abducted her. Like, what, what was so important that they had to get her? Uh, and then they go into how this feud between the Psycho Sisters and the Dark Side started, which is setting up for the next match. Uh, again, seemingly a bit long. Could have trimmed off some of this. You know, I, I could do it uh, without some of the beginning phases of these videos when they're talking about the thing that they did the first day that they got in WoW. It's like, I don't need all that. Just give me the, the meat of the story here. And the story is the Psycho Sisters versus the Dark Side. That's it. We don't have to go into why they abducted Princess Ozzy at this point. We know that she's abducted. We've seen it. Holiday versus Razor is the next match. Uh, the first thing that they do is they have a standoff of craziness. Staring at each other, smiling, laughing, getting on their knees, putting, you know, walking one forward, walking the other one back. Just, just a standoff of being a lunatic. Uh, good match, and we're going to skip past it because the important portions happen at the end. Holiday won this match by beating Razor with the implant buster. Knocks her out, one, two, three. The dark side went clean. Holiday wins clean. There's nothing that 
the Psycho Sisters could or should say at this point is like, oh, you cheated. Nope. It just, they just won. And as, but, you know, here's the thing. I was expecting this to at least be some sort of blow off of this, this feud that they're trying to push. But uh, as the dark side are celebrating, if you will, on the ring apron, here come the Psycho Sisters. They come in and attack them from behind. They handcuff both Siren, the voodoo doll, and Holiday to the ropes to where they can't get out. And now they got Princess Ozzy all to themselves. And they spray paint and they tag her with uh, P.S. for Psycho Sisters on her stomach. So my note here was this is continuing. The feud is going to continue. I'm not sure how I feel about that yet other than I hope that they schedule a match that can actually function as a blow-off match. Segment 10, Tessa Blanchett and Lopez have a video recap of their relationship up until Blanchett's loss. This is a setup for the main event. Like I said earlier, uh, this was a common thread. They had been running it throughout the course of the show so it's not a big not a big shocker. But here's the main event of the evening. And they started off surprising. I thought it would have been a case of Tessa coming out first and they're like, all right, whoever you got, bring her on out of here. They started in, in the reverse for whatever reason. Venomous is her opponent. So Venomous comes out to the ring first. Tessa comes out following. Tessa almost falls into the same category as what I have been asking about the Dixie Darlings. Are is she a heel or is she a babyface? What's, what's, what's the deal here? Tessa slaps Venomous in the face and does the old, you know, kind of arrogant walk around, much like uh, a heel would do, facing off against another heel. So I don't, I don't know what's, what's happening here. Other than Tessa kind of got defaulted into being the babyface of this match. When Blanchard slaps Venomous, Venomous turns around and grabs Tessa by the throat. And from that point on, she's bullying Tessa around his ring. Just taking advantage of her back and forth. Tosses outside the ring, beating her up out there. Uh, I also put, how are they not counted out? The two of them were like out there for a minute if not longer, throwing each other back and forth and around and this, that, that. Now they got a good, good dive from Tessa, and she managed to get Venomous in the front row. Tessa took a run and came out and wham, just jumped over the railing and, and got on the Venomous. Uh, even though you got that big spot, once they got back into the ring, Venomous regains control. And this is where it pulls down because Blanchard knocks Venomous out with a roll of quarters that came from nowhere. Now, it looks like they were hitting in the steps. And that's, that's what I have to guess that it was. But I was like, when did she do this? When did, when, how is she even prepared for it? I can only assume that she did this outsmarting Sofia Lopez, preparing for all instances, I mean, you know, it could be that Lopez did give her a significant warning on 
that she had an opponent and who her opponent was. Now, I don't know if Wild has established how dangerous Venom is, is or how dangerous she's supposed to be. But, you know, um, if if we're going to apply the uh, the logic of this, that, that Tessa's two steps ahead or, you know, ten steps ahead of Sofia Lopez when she tried to put in this match, then, yeah, maybe she went out there at some point in the match during the career. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to give it something. But that, that's the only way that I could really summarize that is that she hit a roller quarters, assumably figuring that she might have a tough time with her opponent because she did know who she was. As we saw earlier in the show, she read her name in the contract. So she knew, you know, even though we didn't know that she knew who she was, Tessa Blanchard knew. So maybe she did this in preparation of that. And that would probably be the, um, the only thing that I could give it. So she knocks her out and then that's it. Uh, Venomous wins because she knocked her out and she didn't try to hide it. She just blasted her with the quarters, and that was it. Venomous wins by disqualification, and Tessa Blanchard goes away. So, or you know, walks out on her own power, whereas Venomous is still laid out on the ground. So, I mean, I, I guess that that all works because it doesn't kill Venomous off, doesn't hurt her necessarily. I'm sure. Let let me rephrase that because I can't be sure about any of this now because this I was about to say that like this is real time, but this is not real time. This was shot two years ago. So what I was about to say is I'm sure she'll get a rematch, but I don't know that. So, assumably, Venomous would get a rematch with Blanchard and she would be able to uh, get her win back. But in the meantime, what it does is that it keeps Venomous in a position where she's uh, the undefeated. Well, yeah, I guess she is undefeated. Well, she's still strong, and she can go up against the Beast and uh, challenge, rightfully so, for the championship without any losses on the record, or at least that's what I would hope that would be. Um, I don't know if that would be the route that I would take. I, I actually don't mind the fact that Venomous lost to Tessa by the quarters, Although that if I really could or if I had a means to get around that, I would would have tried. But the one thing that I do remember as I was watching this and I looked at it at the beginning is like, well, who did they have that they could stick in there with Tessa that would give her that kind of pause? Almost everybody there she's either interacted with or they have been on WOW's television enough, with the exception of Jesse Jones, that you've seen them lose to someone. Jesse has not lost. So, I mean, that that would probably be the only one, but I don't know if she would strike fear necessarily into Tessa, but fear might be a bit of a stretch. I don't know if I would call it that. So, you know, we'll, we'll go with what they got because if you can't come up with something better, then you can't complain about what they got. I got nothing better. I got to I gotta give them thumbs up here that – the uh, main event segment was, uh, you know, pretty good. And that's it. That is the uh, reviewed, the third one in a row of this trifecta of reviews. And like I said, normally I wouldn't do it that way, but, you know, I, I went on a little bit of a binge. So we got a couple of episodes left. 
We're gonna, you know, I'll try to bring it back down to single episode review, or you know, per per podcast. But you know, I might hit another binge. Who knows? Um, but one thing I do want to talk about before I close this thing on up is, uh, well, you know, actually two because I, I, I just thought about something. I earlier I said that they had talked about why. Princess Ozzy was was um, abducted, and that we didn't need to go back. But now that I think about it, I don't think they ever talked about why why she was abducted. She just was. Anyway, I, I just, just just had to make a little middle note to that. And lastly, what I wanted to bring up was something that had been going on online on social media a lot at this point was Nikita Lyons, who we have known. If you've watched this program, as Faith the Lioness. And clearly she is making big waves, largely because of, you know, thirsty dudes out there who act like they've never seen a woman before. And because she pinned her opponent the way that she pinned her, I'm sure you can find it. Everybody kind of like, oh, well, Nikita Lyons, Nikita Lyons. Uh, she'll probably be... NXT Women's Champion inside of a year if, if she continues with that kind of uh, praise from the audience. You know, assuming that WWE doesn't uh, screw it up. But, you know, the one thing that I did think about while I was seeing all of this is that almost nobody knew where she came from. Most of the people that were making comments, most of the fans of uh, WWE slash NXT at this point, Looked at her like she popped up from nowhere. Uh, the podcasters that I've heard talk about it, including Jim Cornette, they didn't know who she was. You know, not that I would expect him to, because it's not like he watches women's wrestling. But even the uh, the review um, or the research that they did on the spot had her listed from World of Wrestling, not Women of Wrestling. So. I say all of that and say this, I I don't know, I don't expect a lot of crossover from WoW's fan base to WWE's fan base, just in general. I don't, you know, typically expect that. But this, this really solidified that there is not a lot of crossover there. It appears like whoever watches WoW they look at WoW, and that's basically it. And the people that look at WWE certainly don't venture, well, I'm, I'm going to say the majority of. There's always going to be some exceptions to that rule. But the people that watch WWE don't seem to have looked at much of anything else outside of that. Uh, and and WoW is absolutely no exception to that rule. And the larger picture that it makes me kind of think about, well, what and who does WoW appeal to? You know, there's been times, particularly when WoW was first created, that I would say that they're not looking for the wrestling fan. They're just looking for casual viewers, people that happen to be seeing, you know, a wrestling show on, ooh, there's women on there, let me look at that. But they aren't really wrestling fans necessarily. So, you know, they may watch it because there's young, good-looking women on the show. But then they started incorporating 
you know, actual wrestlers who have their own individual fan bases, like your Harlow Harris and Sarah the Rebels and Kira Hogan's and Diamantes and Jesse Bells and, and Amber O'Neill's and Havoc and Nevaeh. And, I mean, you know, you can kind of go down the line. And this new version that's going to be popping up in the fall is not going to be anything different. They're getting new girls in that are wrestlers, albeit they haven't had the exposure of you know, having done this for years and years. They're all pretty well new faces, but it's the same, you know, the same strategy. We're going to get more people who have been in the wrestling business, but uh, not necessarily big megastars. So it goes back to, well, who's the show for? Are they trying to get the the wrestling fan now opposed to the casual viewer? I mean, I guess they would still get the casual viewer just because it's the same uh, same strategy, regardless of whether they knew how to wrestle going into it or not. They, uh, they do have wrestlers, young ladies, that would you know draw the attention of the average guy, I suppose. But are, do they want to get casual fans in there? Do they want to have people who uh, could possibly, you know, draw that that wrestling audience? By and large, WoW doesn't really appeal to them. And I'm not saying that as a bad thing, but generally they don't. They don't uh, attend a lot of wrestling conventions. They go to comic book conventions and pop culture conventions. And, you know, they, they do news press releases as for a television show rather than a pro wrestling organization uh, they generally don't interact in any form of social media that would relate to a wrestling fan they don't give a lot of press to uh, or they're not covered I should say by a lot of pro wrestling media so, I mean, it's kind of a, a fine line to walk. I mean, that's just something to think about. And the whole Nikita Lyons thing made me think about that. Just just the idea that she, in theory, had been in the wrestling business since 2019. But almost nobody knew who she was. But, you know, I mean, how many matches has she really had when we think about it? What, like 15? You know, <laughs> 10 to 15 matches, maybe. That might be the most that she had inside of that time because she didn't hit the Indies when she left. But that that's a story for another day. Just, just a, a random thought as I was uh, closing this thing out. Uh, thank you for tuning in to the program. As always, I do appreciate your time, and I appreciate you giving me your time to either listen to and or download this. If you uh, are so inclined to show additional support, hey, go to our website, WPNWrestling.com. And uh, going there, I know, like I said, in one of these other podcasts, some people have checked into some of the commercials that run in our 24-hour stream. Absolutely appreciate that. That is a, a great way to support when people call the numbers that's on those commercials. It helps out a lot. Helps out a lot. So I don't know who you are because there's no way for me to get that information, but thank you. Um, you certainly, there's a donate button on the uh, website. And, of course, 
You can uh, go and click the link for the shop. It'll take you to uh, Teespring. And you can get some of our shirts. And I'm looking to get some more shirt designs up there. And I probably need to streamline that whole site so it's easier to net. Well, not the, uh, not the website, although I'll probably do that too. But uh, the Teespring site so it's easier to navigate and find the additional designs and things like that. But uh, for those who have gone in and, and looked through the site or, or checked into anything that has been produced by D- the WPN, he absolutely appreciate it. Thank you very much. Hey, go check out the uh, latest upload of Match uh, ACR. Well, she was known as Amanda Rodriguez on the uh, on the video, taking on Luscious Latasha. That was something I pulled out of the vault. I don't know why I didn't upload it some time ago, but it's there now. Go check that out for your amusement. Again, you can check out the website. It's got all that stuff just running 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And... That is going to do it for this program. Uh, Like, share, subscribe. And uh, I think that covers everything. So with that being said, folks, this is Mr. Green saying that this is Mr. Green saying so long. And we will see you on the next go round. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for listening to the WPN's Rights and Wrongs of Pro Wrestling. If you have questions or comments, please contact us via our Facebook or our YouTube channel at the Women's Pro Wrestling Network. If you're new to the WPN, feel free to subscribe to our channel and like our page. We appreciate your support. Thank you again for listening.